Welcome to another edition of the HUSP Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where almost every week we talk about the business of sports. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, how's it going? It's going well, Joe. How are you doing? Good. Everything's, you know, kind of moving along as we get into the summer of 2017. Um, yeah, a lot going on. Even though it's summertime, there's um, it's it's amazing how much um, action is happening in the business, both on the fields and courts, and and in, and in the uh, conference rooms and boardrooms of, of the the business side of the business. It's a pretty interesting time. Everybody needs to take August off. That's our first bit of advice. Well, we're not living in France, so I don't think that's going to happen. But <laughs> we we can dream, can't we? Yeah, yeah that's for sure. So. A few uh, podcasts ago, for people who've listened either in order or should go back, we talked to Deepin Parikh um, about the investment side, and one of the companies that he has invested in and was very high on was The Athletic. So we figured we would reach out to those who have built The Athletic, starting in Chicago and have now gone to other cities as a model for local coverage of some of the bigger names in sports, city by city. Uh, so today we're going to talk to John Greenberg, the editor-in-chief of The Athletic, particularly in Chicago. John, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. really appreciate it. Great. Pleasure, John. So John thanks. thanks. John, why don't you just kind of walk those who are, are not familiar with what you've done in Chicago, Toronto, now Detroit, um, and Cleveland, and probably in other cities going forward. What is The Athletic, and what is the niche that a website and a, a service is going to provide, especially for fans in those cities? Yeah, well, um, The Athletic is its a new way to kind of cover local teams, to, to be a local, you know, I don't want to say, high, I guess hyper-local is the word that people used to use. I kind of, when I think of hyper-local, I think of like these uh, patch websites, you know what I mean, that just throw everything on, on, online, like here's the community calendar. You know, I don't think we really do that. We're We're focused on covering the team from the inside, covering it just like um, beat writers do. We have beat writers, we have columnists, analysts, and we're doing it from a subscription model, which is, you know, a lot different than the other hyper-local sites that just wanted advertising and wanted to basically just kind of abuse uh, SEO, you know, to get people uh, to read their stuff. Maybe maybe they're doing a lot of aggregating, which they do. We don't do any of that aggregating, very, very little, if any. Um, and we're kind of trying to attack local sites the old-fashioned way with good reporting, in-depth stories. There's no, we don't, you know, the big story right, as we're talking uh, now is about is about video. You know, sites pivoting to video is the big, is the big uh, catchphrase right now. We're not pivoting to any video. We do, we do very, very little video right now because um, we don't have advertisers. You know, our, our customers right now, uh, the reason we're working for the fans, we're not working for you know, for uh, programmatic or whatever it's called, programmatic. Um, you know, that's not that's, that's not our customers. Our customers are actually sports fans. Now, what we're doing in every market is we're covering the teams and we're trying to cover it in a bit of a different fashion. We, we don't have to fill space. You know, we're not rushing to, like, put the lineups up online, you know, like I've seen reporters have to do. We're right, trying to write in-depth stories. We're writing daily stuff. We're also trying to get guys one-on-one more. We're doing... Um, you know, like my, my my boss actually brought up this idea of like why don't the Cubs, Cubs shift more? They're such a you know a big you know Theo Epstein team. They've got all this information, and you know it was something we thought like well we thought we knew the answer, but then we you know we asked around. We talked to 
a lot of different people about it. That's like an example of the kind of content we're trying to do. And we're trying to basically marry the, if you want to look at ESPN and we're trying to marry what we did at ESPN Locals with what like they do with ESPN the magazine. And we're trying to marry it into one thing and it's been you know, really successful so far. So, John, it's interesting that you guys came out of Y Combinator. Let's talk about that because we're obviously living in a, in a period uh, in, in this business where media is under siege, especially traditional media. Mm-hmm. But even some of the digital media companies, as you, meant, you mentioned, programmatic advertising, which really hasn't lived up to its billing, user experiences aren't that great, et cetera. You're really, try, you're really at the forefront of a, a, a trend that various – smaller publishers, disruptor publishers are trying to tackle right now. So it's interesting to us that you ended up in, a, in an accelerator program. Could you talk about that experience and, and how it came about and, and what it helped you with uh, when, when you finished up with it? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this was um, – so my bosses are two guys, Adam Hansman and Alex Mather, and they approached me when I was actually still uh, kind of running out my ESPN contract toward the end of it. Uh, when I found out, I knew, I knew ahead of time I was, they weren't going to renew it because they weren't doing the locals anymore. And we started the site. We just kind of – they had the idea and they had the stuff ready. Like it was pretty ready, the templates. They, that's how they kind of convinced me to sign a board. Um, so I saw how much work they did. So we had it going and we started – we launched it in late January. And then a few months later they told me they got into Y Combinator. And obviously I'm a Chicago sports writer, so I had to do some research you know, to figure out. Right. I had heard of it kind of, but I you know, had to figure out what it was. And they got into Y Combinator with, you know, we had already started, but we were small. You know, it was new. Um, and a lot of those companies, people in there started something. And they kind of went in with their ideas, some of which I can't even share, some of their ideas they had with Y Combinator of how we were going to expand. You know, people talk about, wow, you're expanding into new markets. Well, that was – the plan was always to expand. It was never like, wow, this is worth great in Chicago. What if we tried it somewhere else? They went into Y mm-hmm. Combinator with the idea of some expansion ideas, some we haven't realized yet, some we have. Um, and, you know, and then really talk to them. It's funny. You're right. Because we don't have like, so many people, you know, they go into this stuff with like kind of, how can we take, um, so many people have these ideas where like, how can we take people out of the equation? How can we, mm-hmm. how can we, um, ro- you know, make everything robotic? How can we, how can we computerize everything and take people out because that'll save money and maybe it'll make things a little, you know, a second faster where ours is the complete opposite. It's like, how can we put more people into this and, and put more life into these stories using a great app, using a great website, and things like that. Um, and they were one of the most successful uh, Y Combinator groups, you know, because they showed that they were a, already making, not a profit, but making money. And right. they showed growth. You know, they could show these people real growth, and that's how they got some, you know, additional investors. You know, they've been working on investors. These guys come, came out of, you know, the Silicon Valley type world. So they knew people. They knew that we got some seed investments early. But that mm-hmm. really introduced them to a whole new world that showed, hey, this is actually a really good idea. And this could, this could actually be a startup that's profitable within, like, two years, you know, which, which we're basically on track. Our Chicago site is basically on track to be profitable by December. Toronto, I think, could be profitable already. You know, that's how yeah. quickly they've been in Canada. Right. So when, when in, in that Y Combinator, do you – did they help you think – I know you personally weren't part of it, but I'm sure you know the story. Right. So obviously the key equation here is what's the right price in the consumer marketplace for, let's call it, modern digital journalism in subscription 
format. So I noticed at least currently on your site, you're selling monthly subscriptions for $5.99 and yearly subscriptions for $39.99. And when I saw that, I right. smiled because it reminds me of, guess what? What we all grew up with, magazine subscriptions, uh, typically right. which were sold on a yearly or, or, uh, or two-year deal. But that $39.99 reminded me of a typical price back in the day of a magazine subscription that most of us were willing to pay for without really even thinking much about it. So it was, do you think that was an influence on the pricing structure? Did you do a lot of testing, market testing and things like that? You know, we did a little early. Um, I remember when they first did, and I think one of the mistakes we made um, when we first had the pricing is we told people what the monthly was, and we shouldn't have done that because what mm-hmm. people did then was they, they multiplied it by 12. Right. You know, and they're like, how are you going to get people to pay this much? And we're like, no, no, we have the the monthly two, you know, the yearly one. But I think it didn't kill us. It didn't hurt us really any, but I did have people ask me questions about it. You know, they didn't maybe read, you know, people were writing quick stories on us when we launched. It's like, hey, for this right. much a month, I remember a, a GM of White Sox, like, how? he's like, I'm going to subscribe, but tell me how you think you're going to get people to pay this much a year. And I'm like, no, no, we're not. So we probably had to explain right. ourselves a little too much with that. But that, We've I, we brought our pricing down a little, I think. I think it was a little higher. I think it might have been up to fifty. It was, so, yeah. I looked at I looked at the articles from last yeah. year. It definitely it's definitely come come down some. Yeah, but it so is interesting I, that and Joe and Joe I'm sure Joe probably agrees with us. You know, that is kind of the price point that was really common for monthly magazines uh throughout hmm. you know the history of the magazine business for decades. <laughs> and here we are now for a digital a digital magazine in effect, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's kind of my they actually said that to me the other day. They say my bosses kind of think of us as a digital magazine, um, which right. is interesting. I, I don't know if I do as much because I feel like we do so much day-to-day stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to think about it is, well, you I know, think, what you're willing to pay for the year. Yeah, and I think it, it speaks to – and this is a uh, follow-up question, Joe, if you don't mind, that I wanted to ask on this mm-hmm. because it speaks to the challenge, the business challenge of dealing with different – target audiences. So I, mm-hmm. I want to hear about the demographics of the athletic, at, at least as they stand right now, but also um, talk about the challenge of dealing with the expectations of millennials, especially younger millennials, who don't even necessarily know the analog um, example of the magazine thing you know, that we grew up with, many of us grew up with, um, but there's an expectation now in the digital realm between uh, mobile applications that have in-app purchases, subscription-based websites, many of them B2B, et cetera, with, with a different kind of mindset around that. But that is a different mindset than what boomers, let's say people 40s and above, may be considering when they look at the option to subscribe to The Athletic. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think we, we've been really successful in our demographics, getting people in their late 20s, early 30s. You know, mm-hmm. and, and anecdotally, when we have these meetups we've been doing, we haven't done a ton, but we do done them every few months. Um, we get a pretty good crowd. Or we get the same people a lot, people that really like us. But people that are big sports fans, you know, they're not the kind that are going to call a sports talk. A lot of them aren't going to be, you know, yelling at a sports talk show. Uh, but they're the kind that really like sports. They they like analytics, you know, they understand or they want to understand it, but they also like just the story and they, they have, they want to learn more. Like we're getting people that aren't, 
you know, we have so many people that yell at us on Twitter, like, wow, we never pay for anything online. But the kind of people that say that usually aren't really our target audience, to be honest. Like, we're trying to go a little more of the upscale people that are that are willing to spend money on it. I, I think younger people, I think sometimes we give millennials a bad rap. Well, we always give millennials a bad rap because they get blamed for everything. But, um, you know, they, people are willing to pay more again online. I think there's – I would love to see a study of the difference of per age demographic, whether or not – not they're willing to pay for things, but they're willing to pay for stuff online. Because I feel like mm-hmm. some kids are just, they're very used to that kind of life now because they didn't subscribe to magazines. They didn't get encyclopedias. You know what I mean? Like we did when we right. were younger. There was things that I think a lot of older people say like, okay, I'll pay for things I can touch, but I'm not going to pay for something I can read on my phone. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder, we, we have a really good like mix though. I, I will say this, I get approached by people you know, from their 50s to their 20s telling me they subscribe, you know, in person or online. People, you know, I go on TV locally, so that's how some people might recognize me. And, you know, I get recognized in Chicago. Just, you know, I got, there's a guy I saw the other day. I saw him at a parade. I live in the suburbs now for the past year and a half, and I saw a guy at a parade. I saw a guy at my kid's camp. the same guy at my kid's camp. And then I saw him at the car wash at the same time, and he was talking to me about the <laughs> athletic. And, you know, a guy in his late 40s. So it's – the good thing we have now is that people are excited about our product. You know, people subscribe to the Tribune. The Tribune is a long-time paper. It's been great at times. Um, people subscribe to the Trib because they've always subscribed to the Trib. People pick up the Sun-Times or the train because they like reading that tabloid, you know, in the train or in their office. And then, you know, we had ESPN Chicago when I was part of that launch, and that got people excited and people really liked us until they, they kind of got rid of it. And then there's, you know, CSN Chicago, the Comcast has their site, which is popular. But people are excited about us, that we are something different. And now they've seen us, you know, we're around, we're not going anywhere. This wasn't a flash in the pan. It wasn't some scam. And we're building. You know, I was just looking at our subscriptions. It's like every month is, is we're doing a really good job of moving upward. So I think local fans are excited about something different. John, one of the things that I, I think is a differentiator and happened in Chicago and will happen, I guess, in the other cities as you're going is, and you touched on the Tribune and the Sun-Times, you actually have people who you brought in as paid beat writers who are have some form of a name but also are continuing to mm-hmm. build a name. How did you find those writers? Other, you know, the obvious answer is, well, they were unemployed and looking for something to do, but I think you guys were pretty selective in Chicago. And how has yeah. that worked out? replicating the model in other cities, especially in Toronto, which was your second and maybe your, your most successful launch after Chicago. Yeah. Um, so they approached me around uh, Thanksgiving time, and that would be in 2015. And I, I, they, Adam actually didn't know this. I said email on LinkedIn. So people that aren't updating their LinkedIn profiles or checking them every once in a while, you should, because um, that was probably the first email I've ever gotten on there. That was useful. Um, I had been let go by ESPN. I didn't really make a big production out of it. Um, but I found out at the end of September, or the end of, yeah, I found out at the end of September, because right before the Cubs playoffs, that they weren't going to renew my deal in December. And so he approached me, and I started talking to them, and I was very wary at first of a sports website, you know, and then the subscription stuff. Um, and then I saw they had the, you know, they had the idea and they had the money. So then uh, my friend Scott Powers uh, found out about two days before I did that he was getting let go of ESPN. He was our Blackhawks beat writer. And so he was the first call I made because I knew he, you know, we were in the same boat. He was freelancing already. And I, you know, talked to him about it. It took a little convincing. Um, he, so he was my first choice to cover the Hawks. 
we needed a baseball writer, and we needed a baseball writer obviously to cover the teams. We also dealing with credentials was not as easy as I thought. You know, mm. I have a decent name, I know all the PR people, but there is very um, there's some skepticism still about online only media. It's kind of For if sure. you're not affiliated with, with like you know a league or, or a network. So we did need someone with a baseball writer's card. I we didn't I, we didn't think we could have got away without it, but it helped us. And Sahadev Sharma is our Cubs writer. Now I knew Sahadev also from ESPN. He was our he was a radio producer and a freelancer, and he was really into baseball writing, like the hardcore nerd stuff. And he went over to Baseball Prospectus, and they tried to start locally. And we poached him from there. It wasn't tough because we were basically paying him a lot more. <laughs> um, but we poached him. So then it was basically us three, and that is how we started. And that's kind of the core. Um, and then I poached us, uh, a nice woman named Lauren Commodore. She's about in her early 20s um, from the Trib, and she was on their digital desk. And I met her because when she was in college, she was shadowing Nick Friedel, who's my buddy who worked at ESPN with me. So I sat with her at a Bulls game. We kept in touch through Twitter and email and things like that. And I knew she would be a good, like, assistant editor, writer slash editor. She's really funny. Um, so that is kind of how we approached the start. And then we got um, Dan Pompey was, uh, wasn't working at the trip anymore. He left, and then he was doing freelancing. So we got him to write once a week about the Bears, along with his other freelance work. He's very popular. You know, he's about the media wing of the Pro Football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we got Dan Durkin, who is a guy – uh, analytical football writer, played at Illinois. Um, I knew him just from the Bears beat. Uh, we got him to write a couple times a week. He's kind of a part-time guy, part-time, full-time. And, you know, we we've had, we have a, a Bulls guy, Sean Hyken, I knew, because he's covering the Bulls for Bleacher Report. And, you know, we filled in different people here and there that, are, that have kind of helped out on the beats. We just hired – we had a White Sox guy this year, James Fagan, who also wrote for Prospectus and was a blogger. Um, and, and Sahada recommended him, and he's been fantastic on the Sox beat, which is not an easy one to draw a reader. Not as easy as the Cubs to draw readers from. So that's how we found those groups. And then, you know, I was a, I was hired to be a columnist editor, and what they've done since mostly is hire beat writer editors, which means they have to hire, like, a more hands-on managing editor to do a lot of the work. But, you know, we hired uh, James Myrtle, who was, like, a top guy in Canada as far as um, merging analytics and beat writing, you know, and he's doing the Leafs for us and other NHL stuff. Um, Jason Lloyd for Cleveland, um, really great writer for the Beacon Journal. Um, he does really interesting day after breakdown of Cavs games that are very, very popular in that market. So they approached him uh, the same way. And then Detroit, uh, Craig Custance, who Scott Powers is really friends with, was basically the last, next to last man standing as far as NHL coverage at ESPN. And we poached him while he was still there. He, you know, he started his job. So that's when you know you're getting good is when you're poaching people who all these guys, actually all three of those guys have jobs. You know, we poached them and got them to kind of sign on with us. And each guy, you know, has really brought us more credibility and not just in their markets, but also nationally and in the case of Canada and Craig and James internationally, uh, we're doing, you know, really well with that, with that type of stuff now. Whereas when I started, it was like, John Greenberg and Scott Powers have a blog. <laughs> you know, right. No right. one knew exactly what it was going to be. How, who's going to pay these guys? Um, right. So, John, so a little let me just – yeah, sorry. Let me, let me just actually do a follow-up on that because obviously you're in uh, – is it four cities right now? Joe mentioned them before. Yeah. Uh, Chicago, yeah. Toronto, Cleveland, and Detroit, right? Yeah. Um, so when you're looking at a new city, I, this just occurred to me listening to you talk that – I guess the first step is you got to make sure you can get the right credible talent oh, yep. 
to be the basis oh, yeah. of the enterprise. Like without, without the talent, you have a, you have a brand name, but not much else. So it, so when you look at a new city, do you have to do? I assume you have to do a fair amount of networking and homework to make sure you can get a couple of John Greenbergs to make sure you got a good business. Yeah, and if they they basically said if they wouldn't have gotten me, you know, I think there's probably a couple other people they're going to look at, but really, if they wouldn't have gotten me, I don't think they would have started with Chicago. Um, right. They did the research. They Adam Rich had a spreadsheet. He told me, and you know, he looked up Twitter followers. He looked up stories. He looked at you know how people how you interact with people. Are you like you know is it are you going to bring people with you? Because like if mm-hmm. you're a negative writer, I'm not negative. Not ne- negative is bad. You want to be fair. But if you're just like I don't want to use troll either, but something in between, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to bring people are going to subscribe to read you. You know what I mean? And there's people I won't right. name the people out there, but there's people out there you would think of. You'd be like, wow, this person like popular in their market as far as like stirring it up, but no one's going to pay to read this person or pay to read this person's views. So they did a fair amount of research. And yeah, every market, I think if they don't get the person they want, that has a huge, you know, a huge point of, a point of like why they would pick that market because you do have to get that person. And I know can't say the next U S market we're launching in, but that I know the guy they picked to lead it. And that was the guy, one of the guys, one of my bosses has really liked for a long time. And that's why they're doing it. All right. Well, Joe and I are ready to subscribe in New York. So whenever you're ready to announce, <laughs> please, please, please let us, let us know. Cause I, cause I, I do think the model makes a lot of sense. It'll be interesting to see um, how different you're, cities do, respond. Do you, think, do you think New York would work? Because we, are very wary of New York, obviously, because there's a ton of competition. You know, it's not like, you know, obviously every every market has their problems. But New York, I wonder, you know, if that was, is even like maybe down the line. I, but I wonder if that's even feasible. I don't know what you guys think hmm. being in the market. I, I mean, Joe, you want to answer first? I've got an opinion on that. I think I mean, that um, I don't know today, but I think somewhere down the line, having uh, especially recently been around. Uh, Hearing some of the stories today, uh, well, uh, during um, the U.S. Women's Open, which was at Trump National, which I attended, and talking to some writers there, um, you know, the question would be in this marketplace what the dollar figure would be as to what writers you could get. But um, right. there are some similar things. I don't know. New York is always a tough place for a pay service, but my guess is looking at the markets you've been in, and one of the things we should talk about is hockey. Um, and when you have someone in New York like Stan Fischler, who's the hockey maven who writes all about right. hockey, um, you know, the cities, some of the cities that you've gone to, with the exception of Cleveland, hockey's kind of been the golden goose that you found people right. to be interested in. So I don't know if New York will work. I think uh, it'll be interesting, you know, as you guys kind of play it out to see where else you end up. But, um, you know, just along those lines, why don't you talk a little bit about hockey and how, uh, you know, cities like Chicago, Detroit, and Toronto have really kind of responded to the, you know, the the coverage of hockey that you've given, which obviously is not being covered, and by the way, is not real well covered in New York in any way, shape, or form, other than maybe some things with the Rangers and the New York Daily News. Yeah, yeah, especially I mean, with Joe, especially with three teams in this in this area, yep. yeah, which correct. is kind of funny. Yeah, that's a yeah, really go good ahead, John. Point. To, to to you know, for New York, that's something I actually talk to my bosses about is is making it more hockey centric. So. Hockey, you know, we, we started with Scott, and this is really interesting. Scott's the hardest-working guy I'll know. He was not a hockey expert. He was a really, really good high school reporter um, in Chicago, and that's what he's been hired him as. He, he has a ton of contacts with high school basketball, which is just huge here. 
Um, and then he, to keep his job at ESPN, he basically moved him to Blackhawks, because he moved the Hawks right over to the Cubs. So he got into hockey, and he had to figure out how to cover it. So then when we started, and he was doing good at ESPN, then when he started our site, the Hawks, because it was like middle of the season, the Hawks, even though he had a credential for the season, they wouldn't credential him for the athletic, which was weird. Um, and it, we ever had this problem on a lot of sites, and it was really kind of bothering me. I was, I was really stressed about it. And he was too, so he had to figure out a way to cover him without being there. So what he did is he started doing really watching the games, not just filing your story, you know, working on your story you were working on in the morning from skate, you know, working on a feature. He started really watching the games and doing, like, really in-depth game analysis. Now, no, the game story's dead. We all know that. But this was, like, interesting stuff. The fans really dug it. You know, this was someone who's really watching the game and he didn't have a 16-inch, you know, uh, limitation on what he could do. And he wasn't wasting time with quotes. And so he was really getting into it. And then what he also what he did is he started going to the affiliates. You know, the Blackhawks AHL team is in Rockford, which isn't far. So he started going to Rockford all the time. He started writing about prospects and calling their agents. He got to know agents for being the ESPN. So he started doing, we're doing all the stuff you weren't, you know, the beat writers wish they had more time for. And that really helped him, I think, establish, like, why people would want to pay for that. So then we're seeing how much success we're getting from the Blackhawks fans and how they're into it they are that when, you know, Toronto was the next one because of the way the media situation was there, you know, people were, good people were losing their jobs. And there was a lot of job openings because their media was kind of cratering like ours was like six, seven, eight years ago. And that's when they realized, the, then the immediate success of that, you know, and that was tough because you're telling, you know, it's not like Toronto Maple Leafs fans are, have a shortage of like news, you know, news outlets. They get covered like uh, the Cowboys get covered here. So, but what we did there was so different, and people love James Myrtle and the way he approaches it. You know, it really showed us, and that's I think something they learned in Y Combinator too. You want, you don't just want to go to the NFL. Everyone covers the NFL. You know, NHL people like other sites and papers like laugh at. I saw a tweet, and I, I sent like I should have done it, but I sent like a a quote tweet of Peter King saying someone asked him if like you would do Monday morning quarterback for NHL, and he's like that wouldn't work or something. I'm like, well. You know, it's working pretty well for us. You know, it's not going to get mm-hmm. you the hits that he needs for advertising, but, like, there is a real good market to be made for people paying for good hockey coverage. And like I said, that's analysis of what's actually going on on the ice. And so many editors just don't get it. And, like, there's just not room in some papers. Like you said, the Daily News does a really good job with Rangers. You know, why aren't, you know, are, is there a, a real appetite for devil's coverage like that? Maybe there is, you know, and, and there's mm-hmm. millions to be made on it, but is there hundreds of thousands to be made on that? Yeah, I, I think there is. And that's, you're well, going to see a ton more hockey coming. And even when you talk about with our Cleveland site, we'll probably have a Blue Jackets writer. I, mean, I know we just mm-hmm. published Blue Jackets stories. We're having a freelancer do it, but there will be hockey in all our markets, and there will be some, you'll be seeing more in Canada too. Wow. Uh, John, what has has anything not worked with, that you found? Like, is is there ever too much Cubs coverage, or do people want um, college coverage that you haven't been able to get to? Or, like I said, are there things you looked into? Uh, nobody's listening to this. We got to get rid of this. Yeah, I mean, we've down. Yeah, I mean, we haven't done enough with college. We've done a little bit, and no one cares. You know, it's just it's tough to break into that. You know, unless you're doing recruiting, which you know the sites have done for pay. College is tough here because it's just Northwestern and Illinois is not that big. We did a little Northwestern basketball because obviously we're making history, but even that had you know kind of its limitations of interest. Um, same with high school. I, I think high school is a way you, you probably could do it. You know, there's probably one writer in town we could do it. I just 
I don't know. I don't know if people really want to subscribe. Some of the game coverage, the day-to-day stuff you feel like you have to do when you're there has been pretty bad. Like, it performs poorly, and I still have our guys doing it because they're there doing other stuff. I feel like it doesn't hurt to go talk to guys, and it helps with, you know, you, you help think of other ideas that way. But, yeah, I mean, we're really seeing that, like, the general game story is even game columns are almost dead because, you know, why everyone, every beat writer tells every detail on Twitter, you know, and the Twitter has become the beat story. You just, you just get those tweets together. Any fan that's following knows, you know, everything that happened, you know, there's no surprises to learn. So that's something we're trying to move away from a little bit. Um, Bull stuff was, was not good as far as our game coverage this year. People weren't reading it, but they were reading more of the analysis. And, you know, anytime you rip on, the front office of a struggling team that usually does well, you know, with a, with a certain part of the fan base. So, you know, we are learning that the traditional stuff, yeah, is tough to do. And we're trying to find a balance of being a daily presence and doing, you know, making our bones on, on the bigger stories. Yeah. You know, Joe, back to this question about New York and new cities and, or John, of course, uh, too. Um, it's an interesting point because if you think about you, you, the demographic you mentioned before, late twenties, early 30s and you think about the way most of us are consuming local sports information it seems that it's mostly in four forms three of which are quite traditional probably not attracting that age group so you've got obviously the local newspapers and we just know as a fact most people that age group are not reading subscribing to or reading the local newspaper sites new york times daily news post etc and then you've got, of course, um, Sports Talk Radio, got WFAN, which is very popular, but again, in my opinion, and I think this is borne out with their demographics, not a lot of young people listening in terms of the, the big numbers you'd want. And then finally, you've got the regional sports networks and the team-affiliated networks like SNY Sports Networks, again, with the high incidence of cord never and cord cuttering, cutting. There's not, obviously, a lot of young people watching those channels so, and then of course you've got the digital realm, and I think a lot of people, to John's point, have almost defaulted to what you might get on Facebook or Twitter, kind of as a uh, as a feed. But it's really not probably ultimately going to uh, give them what they want in terms of in-depth coverage. So I would say, John, my opinion is in New York, especially if you think about sports like hockey, as you as you just mentioned there's got to be an opportunity because it's obviously a huge population. There's a pretty high, you know, generally speaking, educated audience of sports fans. There's a lot of activity going on and there's obviously a lot of teams. And it seems like there's got to be a a decent sliver of all those fans who would uh, get behind us as they have in Chicago and Toronto, et cetera. No, I I agree. There's definitely, like we see it, it's just like, I know beginning, and they, they were just like, we're not, everyone's like, oh, okay, when's New York, when's LA? You know, and you look at the mm-hmm. ESPN locals, and that's kind of how they did it, the Boston, uh, LA, New York, whatever. And, you know, our thing was like, they wanted to go for more of the, besides Chicago, and Chicago was picked because they thought the Hawks and Bulls were going to be a little better than they were the first year we launched, and the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs is, was supposed to be the main driver, and it has been a main driver, you know, and we got lucky they won the World Series, you know, we got... We had two seats of the World Series. We went to, both, both of us went to the White House. I mean, we, we were on board. The Cubs were great about it with us. Like, you know, they subscribe, people subscribe way up in the front office. I mean, they read, you know, and that's to, to see a successful team 
you know, do that is, is, you know, it's, it makes you feel like you're doing a good job. So, um, the, you know, the competition in Europe would be tough. You know, there's obviously a ton of competition. But I think you're right. You get the right people. You could do a good sliver. It's probably paying them. It would be the tough part. Mm-hmm. Paying is mm-hmm. just dollars. Like, uh, might be a little challenging for a bottom line. But you never know. You never see never. We've really been on, like, what I was trying to get to and I got lost is getting these mid-sized markets like Detroit and Cleveland, you know, where maybe mm-hmm. they're one paper towns or maybe they're one and a half paper towns where, like, only one beat. You know, only, like, the plain dealer travels. The Beacon doesn't travel for, like, the Indians. You know, ones like that where you think you can really take a big market share. Detroit, right. you know, they need some excitement there. They need some younger staffers. Not young is bad, but older, older is, you know, I'm not doing that. But, you know, just different, just different people that, that maybe have some different ideas, I think, is has been really helpful. And I, I think next market we do will be a little bigger. Um, but, you know, it's always going to be a combination. But, yeah, New York, you never know. Stay, stay tuned. Can you can you talk about any specific any specific markets that are in the plan right now? You know, I probably shouldn't just because it's not like that. You know, I don't own the company. I only have a small piece. <laughs> so, okay. I, All I, right. I, but um, no, but I'm, I'll say this: the, the, the next one, um, I it's not finalized yet, but will be like uh, it, it won't be Midwest. I'll say that <laughs> it'll be another because mm-hmm. we've okay. we've had Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago. The next one will not be a Midwest market, and we also have a Warriors mini site too. Just Golden State. That's mm-hmm. kind of for longer investors that are out there. But uh, that, okay. you know, there'll be a plan. Maybe thinking about expanding that to the whole Bay Area would be something later on. That's not probably next, though. Anchorage. Yeah. Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 getting, we're, we're going beyond the NHL. We're going to go to the uh, CCHA or whatever yeah. they they play in. Maybe Joe, if you and I keep guessing cities, and we'll, we'll just ask John yeah, not to we'll respond if we get it right. Yeah. right. <laughs> I was thinking Denver, Nashville, places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, John, can, uh, one more question before we get into the wrap-up uh, questions, or maybe Joe might have one too. But uh, I sure. want to get this uh, co- come back to a point you made early in the conversation: Is the absence of video and audio actually? embraced by your current subscribers or are you feeling like they're restless and they want more multimedia uh, editorial coverage? Yes. Um, the problem is some mm-hmm. of our guys have podcast deals already with other people. Um, right. We need to, we need to kind of get that all under one umbrella. Probably need to hire like a podcast, like <laughs> engineer or something. Uh, but we do do podcasts and some of them are actually pretty popular. We have two guys that do a bulls one after every game. Um, and I know that's pretty popular and people like that idea. And that's something I, I think we would like to do for all our teams is these immediate podcasts right after games. I actually had someone that has a really successful podcast suggest that to, saying he liked it, what they were doing, we were doing that with the bulls and we should, we should expand it. We really should. Um, I think podcasts are probably the biggest way we'll expand in the next mm-hmm. year. Um, I don't know how much video, like video, like I'll do the iPhone video when we're, you know, gaggle around the locker. I hate doing it for more than like a question um, mm-hmm. because I feel like you don't, it's so impersonal. And I think it's just ruining the discourse you have with, with athletes when everyone has a camera in their face. You know, everyone's got your phone no. in their face. No. I, I just think it's really ruining the discourse and we want, we only want to use quotes that are good. So whatever, but I do quick videos and then we, I tweet it and then we pull it from the Twitter onto our app. And it's, if you, I, I don't know, Anyone that's listening, go download our app. You download that for free, and you can see how the video integrates in it. It's actually really cool, like how mm-hmm. how it's integrated in feed for our app. 
So that's the kind of stuff I think we'll do. I, you know what I hate? We just do it with ESPN, and all the papers do it are these stupid two-person videos after a game, like after a Bears game. Two guys standing in some, you know, some empty suite next to the press box, and we're just like sweaty, and you just look like a slug. And it's just like, it's just I just look right. terrible. I know what you mean. Yeah. I would have these right. bloggers making fun of me, and I'm like, you're right. I, I do look awful. So I just don't know. Unless you're gonna put like big money and get these huge sponsors, you know, maybe we'll get more business investment. But you know, we're really we're still ad free on everything. I mean, we're probably gonna have a podcast advertiser that I talk to, but like. Yeah, we're really trying to work for the fans. So I think, like, mm-hmm. to answer your question, audio is definitely on the horizon. Video, but not so much. Okay, cool. I got one more, John, before we uh, Tom can get to the last two questions that we always ask our guests. Uh, and this is a Tom Richardson sweet spot, as a matter of fact. The value of mobile and how important is mobile to the success of the athletic in the markets that you're in. And then also... Um, how important you, you touch on this a little bit, but how important is it for you to go to the writers that you're bringing in to say, look, you got to do everything on social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and in traditional media to help drive attention to what we're doing. So mobile and then social. What's the value okay. of both? Uh, mobile's huge. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, the desktop. You know, I, I edit obviously everything from the desktop. We, you know, I see stuff first on the desktop, but our mobile stuff is is enormous, and we people can subscribe through the, you know through the i the i uh, store or you know there's other Google Play. Mobile's everything. Our mobile app is awesome. You know, it helps when your founders, your company has been working in uh, user experience for like 15 years. You know, mm-hmm. so everything works. It's like I love the app, and that is, that is that's the future. I mean, the future of why we think we can work, everyone's like, you know, people want to say print's dead, video's this, video's that. Guess what? Most people don't want to watch video on their phones. I mean, let's say they have their headphones in, sure, people love reading on their phones. Whether you're on your train, you're at your desk, you're at home, you're, you're watching, you're, you're at the park with your kids and you're trying to occupy yourself. You know, mm-hmm. people love reading stuff on their phones. And I think our site is, is great for that. It's really perfectly designed to be read on the phone and everyone's checking Twitter on your phone. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the majority, you know, of times you're checking Twitter or some kids don't even, some people don't even use desktop. You know, that's what's amazing yeah. about how quickly things have, have expanded technology wise, you know, and, and we have an app, we have a great app and it sells well. It's one of the top selling ones in Canada. They're at, you know, it's a little different here, obviously, but you know, our app does really well. It makes money. Um, so yeah, that's so John, what percentage, what percentage of your of all your traffic is mobile right now? I assume it's extremely high. You know what? I, I wish I would have prepared and had that answer for you. I don't know. Okay. It's high, though. It, it is really high. Yeah. I'll say that. I don't have a, yeah. a set number, but we do look at that, and we look at you know who's yeah. looking at mobile every day, mm-hmm. and people do. People love it. They tell me they love it. So, and as far as yeah, you're right. For for our writers, I was just we just had a meeting with writers um, after I'm talking to you. But before I'm talking to you, I mean, we had this this meeting. And I, you know, I just, I kept stressing guys, make sure you're tweeting out your stories immediately, tweet them out multiple times at different hours of the day. Facebook is not really a big driver on, you know, reading your stories anymore. They've, you know, they switched their algorithms, they go to video, which is why everyone's chasing that money. Um, Facebook's not as big for us. Instagram, you can't really link to it, so that's not as big. Um, yeah, Twitter is huge, and we do, we get, one thing we've been very lucky with in this market, and I appreciate is, the people we knew, you know, that wanted us on TV, have still have put us on immediately under the athletic. Like I was on the Comcast sports talk show the day we launched. I went on NBC's Sunday night show that week. 
you know, and they keep having all of us on, like all of our staff going all the time. And, you know, that's really helped us because we do have to figure out the big challenge is how do we get fans to know who we are and to want to subscribe that aren't on Twitter every day, that are big sports fans, but they're not, you know, checking, they don't follow me. They don't follow, you know, our writers. How do we introduce this to them? How do we break through? You know, what are, what are the old ways to still do? We go on sports radio a ton too. You know, and those are the ways I think right now we're doing it. Unless we're going to buy like a Skywriter, you know, put on huge billboards on the side of uh, the Eden's Expressway. I, I think that, you know, that's the way we have to keep kind of, I guess, you know, hammering along. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. John, to wrap up, um, we'll do this pretty briefly since we're running out of sure. time, but um, give us, let us, tell us how you keep up with everything in, in, the, the business right now. I mean, it sounds like you're a Twitter fan. It sounds like, you know, as a writer, editor, um, a thoughtful guy, you, you must have your go-to sources. What, what are you doing to keep up every day? Um, yeah, it's Twitter mostly. I mean, I have a pretty good feed. I don't clog it up with a ton of, you know, unnecessary people, I guess. So yeah, mostly mm-hmm. it's Twitter, checking that, scrolling. Um, I go to different, yeah, different, the usual websites. I, you know, I have to check out what the competition's doing. Uh, most of that mm-hmm. I get from Twitter because I follow the B writers. So, you know, I checked right. out a ton. I, you know, as far as the world, you know, New York Times. I'm a sub- New Yorker subscriber. Uh, you think I'm a New Yorker because I subscribe to the Times and the New Yorker. But, um, okay. you know, I checked all that stuff. There's, you know, there's a few websites I go to here and there. Some stuff I do, it's interesting to look at how your media diet changes over the years, right? Like, I used to go to SI.com a ton when they changed their website and became unmanageable. I stopped going. You know, mm-hmm. ESPN.com, obviously, when I worked there, I was there all the time, and it's a good place. I, I don't like their design either. You know, that started way before I left. It's, I think it's a tough – it's a t- it's a kind of slog to go through there right now. It really so, is. I mean, I, w- yeah. I would argue that almost all the leading sports sites are a slog, and that's why those publishers, and probably including you guys, who have kind of streamlined the UI and the UX are yeah, in certain ways totally. winning winning the day because – I mean, one of my pet peeves is MLB.com, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, like a lot of these sites just basically put everything they got on the home page. And, and it's I, really I kind to, of unmanageable. Right. I used to freelance for MLB.com for a number of years. It's a good, that's a good freelance gig. And, um, and, you know, I don't go on it anymore. I go on it for like the, you know, the box scores and stuff and for uh, game day. But I've gone on the team pages. So I, I hadn't been on there for years. I'm like, holy crap, how can you find anything on this? It used to yeah. be so easy to find stories, but they don't care about right. the stories anymore. So, right, they're literally throwing every piece of crap they have at, at the wall. And, listen, their MLB AM is super successful. Not, you know, they're, they're, they're vanguard to this. But, like, man, for someone who just like me, I like to read. I really like yeah. to read stuff. A lot of huge – I video got for highlights, perfect. But I love to read. So, yeah, it's tough. And that's – that is one of our things. We have a clean site. We're going to do a redesign again soon. You know, you got to redesign every few months, but yeah. So that is that my media diet right now is basically Twitter. I mean, I'm a total cliche journalist. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, Joe and I are, Joe and I are with you. We're both into Twitter pretty, pretty big time too, but I just want to make one more point on that. Cause I think you, you hit on something that's key. And Joe and I have talked about this in the context of our academic work at Columbia and working with young people and, helping them understand better, like what's going on with the changes in media, but this user experience of consolidated streamlined information in the, in the form factor of a mobile phone, which is typically, you know, a few inches wide by five inches high has basically created a market of consumers 
that expects clarity, simplicity, a really good user interface. And that wasn't true five, ten years ago necessarily, especially ten years ago. Even five years ago, it wasn't quite as good now. So when you look at the contrast between a really clean, easy-to-use native mobile application and some of these um, uh, obese websites, it's, you know, you, you kind of have to say, you know, the guys that are doing the big sites, you're just not getting it. Like, that's not the way you can do this anymore because there's this expectation in the market among users that it's got to be simpler and better to use. And if it's not, guess what? It's a cool marketplace. They just simply move on. So your example about never going to MLB.com, even though you're a sports writer, is a perfect case in point. Um, yeah, no, so thanks for that perspective. Um, so the last question then is, uh, as you may know, since we're doing this for Columbia on the sports management program, we've got a fair number of students listening, we believe, and it's always nice for experienced people such as yourself to offer up some career advice. So what can you tell folks that are looking to either break into the business or, or mid-stage career developers who are looking for some advice on how to improve themselves? So, is that, yeah, I mean – I think the number one thing I would tell people, and it is something I, you know, I wish I, I got it a little bit, but maybe I, I was very laser focused on being a sports writer and, you know, and that thing, but I think is knowing more about the world and sports and being able to talk mm-hmm. to people about, um, about other things, about being, you know, mm-hmm. intelligent in the world and paying attention to the world around you. doesn't mean you have to tweet about Donald Trump every day because God knows we have enough sports writers doing that or sports people, um, you know, and complain about stuff. It's just being knowledgeable about the world and being, I think going back to the way probably you guys, and I, you know, I think I was taught as well is like more of a liberal arts background of mm-hmm. like knowing things about the world of literature, you know, knowing things, finding examples in history on how to educate yourself. I read a great story the other day about how what other writers read and like what writers read you know, just mm-hmm. different books and just how they, and how reading about things that maybe aren't into your wheelhouse have educated you and allow you to be a better writer. Because I know I do. Mm-hmm. And you know, this stuff I've included in stories that no business in the sports story. And I'm not trying to show off, but just being that kind of person. I, I think just being a bright person in general, being a, a curious person will help mm-hmm. you in the world of sports more than people think. I, you know, I, and if you're, if you're going to the world of sports marketing and things like that, get really good at it. You know, make sure you're really focusing on those hardcore business classes. Make sure you're mm-hmm. an ideas person. You know, and I know that's kind of a cliche, but just you've got to have that quick mind to, to be able to brainstorm. And if you're a if you're a person that you know you can be counted on for a good idea, uh, you'll always have a job. And you know, as far as sports yeah. writers and sports journalists, same thing. I mean, come up with your own ideas. That's something I've actually struggled with in the past. Well, that's that's great advice. Thank you very much, Joe. You want to. Uh... Take it home. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I forgot the question, Joe, for yep. John. John, just to okay. remind the listeners where they can find everything about you and The Athletic. Okay, so you can um, you can obviously go to my Twitter account. It's John underscore Greenberg, and that's D-E-R-G. Well, I shouldn't have told New Yorkers that. But uh, <laughs> All right. that, so, you know, you can find my Twitter account, everything there, my email. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, that's, that's fine. Hopefully I'll get back to you soon. Um, the site is theathletic.com. And when you sign up, you can pick what city to follow, what teams you can follow. You can tailor it. If you just like hockey, you could follow the Maple Leafs, Blackhawks, you know, uh, uh, the Red Wings, and you can, that'll be what your feed is. It, it, we really tailor it to that. Um, and, yeah, so we have the Athletic.com in Chicago, Toronto, Detroit, and Cleveland. 
So find us there on the website. Find me on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, that's that's basically it. You know, that's you know, the and the apps. Today. You forgot and you you want. And the app store, but they're in the, the app store. Yeah, the the Apple media company. Yes, and it's in all the apps. Right, and that's and, and that's both Apple and I assume Google Play. Yes, Apple and Google Play. Yeah. Google Play is big in Canada. So you can right. find the Athletic Media Company app. Super easy to download. Okay. You can subscribe through there. So if you know you have an iTunes account, it's really easy that you can mm-hmm. basically do your subscription through that. I think we get a few cents less, but you know we'll take it. <laughs> well, you get. I think you get thirty percent. That thirty percent goes to Apple. So whatever. But a lot right. of people are doing that. Yeah. All right. So Joe, you want to wrap up? Thank you, John. Yep. That was good. Uh, so once again, that, this has been very informative, um, especially as we try to look at the disruptive space in media. Um, the athletic certainly is going there, has proven the model in certain cities, probably continue to prove it. So, so John Greenberg, thanks for joining us. And Tom, thanks for uh, another great show. Yeah, great show. Thank you very much, John. We really appreciate it and wish you well with uh, the expansion. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. Great. And once again, this was another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson, and we'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my co-host is Joe Favorito. And our production assistant this week is Columbia student Maurice Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the cusp show and you can get in touch with us on twitter at cu underscore sps underscore sports also you can find out more about our program the columbia university sports management program by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management thank you very much we'll see you next time Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.